So this morning we're going to be in chapter 7. So if you will flip over to Proverbs chapter 7. Uh, and this is, we call this sexual purity part 2. Last week uh, we talked a lot about God's design. Today we are going to talk about how to win the battle. How to win the battle. The battle of temptation. And what we're going to talk about this morning, uh, specifically the battle against sexual temptation. But everything we say about this particular battle, this particular temptation also applies to any other temptation that you will face. And so uh, this morning as we look at Proverbs 7, I think you'll see that there's really a battle plan that's laid out for us in this chapter uh, and that's supported by the rest of Scripture. Uh, and here's the first thing you have to realize is that there is a battle, okay? We're actually in a battle right now uh, to follow God's way, to uh, to be pure, and so we have to prepare ourselves for that. And so that's what this morning is all about. How do you prepare yourself for this battle? How do you prepare yourself to fight against uh, that temptation that could destroy you? Many of you know that uh, on June 6th, uh, just a, a few weeks ago, was the 77th anniversary of what we call D-Day. D-Day happened on June 6th, 1944 uh, in, in Europe. It was the beginning of the end for the Nazi regime in Europe. And so this is one of the greatest, largest uh, battles in the history of modern, of, of global warfare, if you will. It was the largest amphibious invasion in history. And here's the interesting thing about that. We could talk about that for hours, actually. But here's the, just a couple things I want us to realize. That event never would have succeeded... The Allies would not have succeeded had there not been years of preparation and planning, okay? They were careful to prepare for that battle. Years of planning. There were over 156,000 infantrymen who who stormed the beaches uh, there in France, plus all the airplanes and uh, paratroopers and things like that. 156,000 people. But the success of D-Day was absolutely dependent on the careful preparation that took place. These folks were prepared for battle. Um, you see this picture here. This is actually an old classic picture of the 101st Airborne Division. This is what uh, the TV show called the Band of Brothers was based on. These paratroopers who, para- uh, who parachuted into France the day of June 6th and, and kind of attacked behind enemy lines. Uh, actually, recently, I try to make a point, believe it or not, to watch that show, Band of Brothers, about once a year, just to remind myself of the sacrifice that, that people paid, uh, that these soldiers paid in order to bring us freedom here in this country. But these guys, it's just an amazing story about how they were able to accomplish what they accomplished at great casualty rates and, and a lot of suffering. But these guys, it's interesting, if you actually watch that show, there are 10 episodes in the show called Band of Brothers. The first episode, 10% of the show is all about their preparation. Because before they ever parachuted into France, they spent two or three years preparing, training, getting ready to do what they did on D-Day. The success of their battle was dependent on their careful preparation. So this morning, what I want us to see is the success in our battle against sexual, sexual temptation or against any temptation, is dependent on your careful preparation. And I think that's the point that's driven home here in chapter 7 of Proverbs. I've showed you this picture a couple of times. There's a lot of different options out there in the world, right? A lot of different voices screaming at you saying, hey, go this way, or it's just fine to go that way. Or why don't you come walk with me down this path? The book of Proverbs tells us that 
the only wise path is the path that God puts before us. And so to be able to discern what is the path of wisdom, what is the way of God, we need to look at his word and see which way he wants us to go. So last week, we really talked about why it was so important to fight this battle. Uh, And one, there are three points we made. We said we want to embrace God's design for sex. He's given it to us as a wonderful gift uh, to be enjoyed in the bounds of marriage. Second point is choose then to follow his design. Choose sexual purity. Do life, do this area of your life in the way that he designed it. And then third, rely on God's grace. Because apart from his grace, it's impossible to do that. But this morning, what we want to look at is how to win this battle. And if you have a worship guide in front of you, if you're watching online with us, you'll see in your printed bulletin, there's actually only four strategies. So I'm going to give you a bonus one, an extra one at the end uh, that I think you'll see is, is that actually going to tie them all together. So these five strategies for how to win the battle. You know, as I said, when the Allies invaded France all those years ago, They had all these strategies that were carefully laid out, and they had all their plans. And and that's exactly what we want to do this morning, is that when we come up against temptations, which we will, we want to be prepared to go into battle. And so what's the first thing we see here in Proverbs chapter 7? Here is the first strategy for winning the battle against temptation. That is to treasure the word. Treasure the word. So let's read the first five verses of Proverbs. You can follow on the screen, or you can read in your Bibles. It says this. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. So how to win this battle? I think the first thing we see here in chapter 7 is God says to us, the only way you're going to have success against this temptation, against this struggle, this ongoing lifelong battle we face against temptation and especially sexual temptation, the only way you're going to be able to do this is through God's word, through him and the power of his word. And so uh, look at some of those verses we just looked at. It doesn't just say, hey, know about God's word or Be familiar with God's word. I think the message here is treasure God's word. Because this is the first step you have to take in order to be able to fight against temptation. It says, keep my words and treasure up my commandments within you. Well, what do we do with treasure, right? If you have, let's say you inherit a treasure from someone. What do you do with it? You go put it somewhere safe, right? You lock it away in the bank, or maybe you invest it so it can grow, but you treat it very carefully. You don't just leave it laying on the ground. So that's exactly what God says I want you to do in this battle with temptation. Treasure my word, God says. Treasure the words of wisdom. It's only by God's word that we can do battle. Keep my commandments and you will live. Talked about that last week. Do you want to live? Do you want to die? We all want to live. God says the way to truly live is to follow my commandments. Verse 3, bind them on your fingers. It's like this idea of tying a string around your finger, right? So you don't forget it. God says in order to fight against temptation, in order to win this battle, bind these things so closely to you that they're with you wherever you go. Another picture would be, right, the, the picture of a wedding ring. It's there everywhere you go. People can see it. You can see it. At the very least, it's a reminder that you are married to someone else. And God says, carry my word with you. Bind it on your hand 
that you never forget it. Let it be a part of who you are. If you know me, if you're going to walk in wisdom, attach your word, attach my word to your heart. The word is your primary tool. It's your treasure. For wisdom, it's your primary tool for winning this battle. Now, I grew up uh, on a farm, and then uh, later in life, I actually uh, did a couple other jobs. One was washing windows. I did that to pay my way through college. Uh, And then in seminary, I did landscaping. And I learned in both of those occupations and on the farm, you have to have the right tool for the right job. So here's a picture of a weed eater, okay? So this is a steel weed eater. I remember I learned this lesson over and over again in my landscaping business. One was... I thought maybe I could get by with cheaper equipment, buying some used stuff that didn't work quite right. Well, guess what? When I'd send my guys out to do the work, they'd call me and say, the weed eater won't start. Uh, And so I learned quickly, you have to have the right tool for the right job. The other thing I learned was I can't just give them a weed eater and say, go take care of these people's lawns, these people who are going to pay me hundreds of dollars to cut their grass, because they'd be trying to prune shrubs with a weed eater. They'd be trying to edge the grass with a weed eater. And I learned really quickly, you have to have the right tool for the right job. And what this chapter tells us, Proverbs 7 tells us, is the right tool to begin fighting temptation is the word, to treasure the word. I can't say that enough. Uh, It starts out with these first five verses. But this is also stated elsewhere in Scripture. I want to show you a couple verses from Psalm 119 just to remind us that we cannot ignore the word of God in this struggle. Uh, so Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible, it's all about how beautiful God's word is and how he wants us to use it uh, in everyday life. And so Psalm 119 verse 9 says this, how can a young man keep his way pure? Answer, by guarding it according to your word. Or you could fill in the blank there and say, how could a young woman keep her way pure? Only by guarding it according to your word. Okay, so that's the solution given. God says that his word helps us to keep our way pure. Another verse, this one you may have heard before. It says, uh, Psalm 119, verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Another translation says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Again, treasure the word of God. Treat it like the treasure that it is. God speaks to us. He gives us his word that can be actually used as a weapon uh, to fight against temptation. If you think about it, when Jesus was faced with temptation, Jesus himself, fully God, fully human, how did he fight temptation? With the word of God. Each time with the word of God. So when we talk about what does it mean to treasure the word, I want to give you just a few words here that will help you understand that. Number one is... To know God's word, to treasure it, you have to read it, okay? You have to read it. And you might say, well, I'm not a reader. I don't like to read books. Not an excuse anymore, okay? (laughs) We have things called audio Bibles. You can actually listen to the word of God if you don't want to sit there and read the book. Um, And actually, that's something I do. Uh, Trying to read through the the Bible in a year, uh, I listen to the Bible all the time while I'm driving in my truck. Um, It's a great way to just saturate my mind with the word. So that's the first one is read the word. Memorize the word, right? Uh, Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart. Memorize God's word. And I would add to that, meditate on it. Don't just memorize it, but talk about it to yourself. Think about it. Meditate on what does this mean. Here's another thing. So those first two are on your own. Read it. Memorize it. 
But it's important for us to realize in Scripture that God also wants us to figure out how will we be taught the Word of God. Who's going to teach you the Word of God? Certainly, I hope uh, Sunday morning sermons, Sunday morning worship service is a part of that. Uh, But beyond that, who will teach you the Word of God? Here's another thing. It's not enough for you to take it all in. I think what Scripture tells us is part of learning the Word is actually teaching it to others. So how are you going to teach the Word to others? Who are you going to teach? Who are you going to share God's truth with? Whether it's in a formal teaching setting or just informally instructing people. And then last but not least, obey the Word. To treasure God's Word means that you take it seriously enough that you will live it out in your life. Follow His commands and trust that His way is the best way. That's what wisdom is. So with each one of those words... Ask yourself that question. How will I read God's word? At the beginning of the year, I think we challenged everyone and said, hey, read through the Bible this year. So here we are coming up on July 1st, which is halfway through the year. So how are you doing with that? I think some of you started reading the Bible through the the Bible recap uh, reading plan. I know I'm behind by maybe three weeks, but I'm still in the game. I'm still in the game, okay? But how are you doing with reading the word? How will you read the word? Because here's the thing, you know, unless you make a plan to read God's word, you're just not going to do it. Just like those allied troops on D-Day, they could have said, yeah, we're going to invade Europe someday. And then just not made plans. How well would that battle have gone? It would have failed. So make a plan. How will I read God's word? How will I memorize God's word? Here's one that probably not many of us have a plan for. How will you memorize God's word? And I would just encourage you, start with something small. If you haven't memorized anything in a long time, there's a few places in Proverbs. Email me. I can send you a few verses in Proverbs that you could learn. Start with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We're going to come back to that later today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So how will you memorize the word? How will you be taught the word? How will you teach others the word? And along with that, who will you teach the word to? And then, how will you obey the word? One thing we're going to see a little bit later today is I would just encourage you on that last point with the word is that God says you are to learn the word, be taught the word, memorize the word, and obey the word in a community of believers. This is not meant to be done on a lone island all by yourself. God says, I want you to treasure the word as part of a community of believers who share that that same mindset. We are called to pursue God together. And so hopefully Trinity Church is a place where you can do that. Uh, And we have different options throughout the church of how you can surround yourself in that. That brings us to the second strategy for how to win the battle against temptation. So, So strategy number two is this. Watch your step. Watch your step. And we find this in verses 6 through 9. Listen to these verses. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice. This is the, the wise person of Proverbs speaking. And I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night, and darkness. I think what we see in these verses, and by the way, chapter 7 is really, if you just read the whole chapter through at one shot, is really a great snapshot of how temptation happens. And along with that, how to fight against that temptation so it doesn't uh, carry itself out. 
But in these three verses, uh, Proverbs 7, 6 through 9, we, we are challenged to watch our step. And what do I mean by that? Is literally, where are you walking? Where is it that you're putting yourself? Because see, we can put ourselves into situations where temptation is a whole lot harder to resist. Or we know that temptation will actually attack us in physical places uh, and also in spiritual places. Where are you walking? Look at what it says about this young man. Verse 8, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. So he knows there's a temptation there. And maybe that's even why he's taking that route. And what Proverbs 7 tells us is beware of where you're walking. If you're walking in a place where you know there's going to be temptation, avoid that place. That place could be somewhere in person, literally, uh, being around people who you know are going to tempt you in this way or in other ways. It could be uh, a place online, right? You know if I go to this certain website, maybe even a good website, a news website, it's going to take me down the wrong path because there's a link there that's going to just be too hard to resist. Be careful where you walk. It might be a device that you use, your phone, your computer, an iPad, something like that. Be careful where you walk. So where is it? Where are the places that you know that you face this or other temptations? Scripture tells us to avoid that. Look what the fool does. He walks down the path right by the place where he knows he's going to face the temptation. So that's the first step. We're actually called to avoid those places. But also notice it doesn't just say where he walks. It also talks about when he walks. What does it say? Verse 9, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. In other words, when he can be hidden. He doesn't want people to see what he's doing. And so when is it that you're tempted to do some of these things? Is there a certain time of day? Is it a certain place? And also, one other thing you want to notice is, with whom is he? He's all by himself. He's walking down that road in isolation, straight into a temptation with no one to help pull him away from it. He doesn't have a chance, as we're going to see in the verses that come. He's walking down that path alone. This is our second strategy. Watch your step. Be aware of what path you're walking down. I want to show you a picture of a path that's perilous. And uh, uh, so we actually have some members in our church who went to the Grand Canyon recently. Okay, so Walter and Jan Robichaud took a hike on the Bright Angel Trail in the Grand Canyon. I want to show you a picture of them on this trail just a few weeks ago. You see that? Can you tell that's ice covered? That never would have happened in the month of June. That's actually not Walter and Jan, okay? <laughs> but... Uh, But this is a picture of actually a path in the Grand Canyon that uh, freezes up sometimes and hikers try to go down this. Let me tell you something. I've actually experienced this trail with ice on it. When I was 21 years old, uh, my family took a trip to the Grand Canyon over spring break. And me and my brothers thought, we're going to hike all the way down to the bottom and all the way back up in the same day. So we started down the trail and there was a little bit of ice at the top. We thought, no big deal. That first mile was a lot like this. The, the water that had kind of thawed the day before had frozen into a sheet of ice. And I still remember that was one of the first places I'd ever been. I'm like, there's no safety rail here. If I slip and fall, I'm dead. And it's on me, not anyone else. And I think my little brother was in sixth grade at the time. And I'm thinking, if he falls off this, I'm dead. <laughs> uh, and uh, 
watch your step. There's perilous footing. And God says, avoid those places where you know you'll fall into temptation, whether it's a physical place, a digital place, or a place of isolation. The places where the path is dangerous. Tread carefully, don't wander into danger. You know, Scripture tells us a few examples of people who understood this. The story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. When he was tempted by his, uh, he was a slave and his master's wife tempted him. It says he fled. He ran away as fast as he could. Ran away from that place. 1 Corinthians six eighteen says this, flee from sexual immorality. It doesn't say just kind of avoid it or walk away slowly. It says flee. That means turn around and run. And so one of the things that Proverbs 7 is telling us is watch your step. Don't go to those places where you know you'll be tempted. Avoid them at all costs if you can. And I think another thing that goes along with this is walk with other believers. You cannot expect to win this battle if you're trying to live your life in isolation. That's not the design for discipleship or for sexual purity. Walk with other believers. All right? So those are the first two strategies. The third one is this. Recognize the enemy. Recognize the enemy. Um, And one thing, as we read these verses, verses 10 through 20, what you're going to see here is sometimes the enemy does not look like the enemy, okay? And that's one of the things about any temptation, uh, or especially sexual temptation, it doesn't look like something that's going to hurt me. In fact, it looks like something that's going to make me feel good. This goes all the way back to Genesis uh, 2 and 3, though, the temptation in the garden. It didn't look like something that was going to hurt Adam and Eve. And yet, in the end, it brought separation from God and death, both physical and spiritual. Proverbs 7, verses 10 through 20 says this, Behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. This woman is dressed as a prostitute. So I'm sure the young man saying, wow, that, that actually looks good. Verse 13, she seizes him and kisses him. And with a bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. So now he's thinking, well, this kind of feels good too. And it sounds good. She's been waiting for me. Verse 16, I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, with aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Again, I'm sure he's saying, well, that even smells good. Looks good, smells good, sounds good. Verse 19, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey and he took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. So in these verses, you see a whole lot of rationalizing and temptation from this person who's trying to seduce the young man. At one, she says, hey, I've, I've, I've just been to church. Come be with me. It's like, maybe we can have a Bible study or something, you know? I've actually heard that before. Um, my husband took a bag of money with him. He's probably going to be doing some stuff too. So let's just, you know, whatever goes for him goes for me too. What these verses tell us is you have to recognize the enemy. Because if you're just going by what looks good, what sounds good, what smells good, what feels good, you'll fall every time. 
God says, recognize that there's an enemy behind this. And the enemy is actually maybe not that person. It's the enemy who's using that person to lead you astray, to lead you away from God, to lead you away from wisdom. The words of this, verse 10, it says, uh, says, And behold, the woman comes to meet him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. At every corner she lies in wait. The picture here is of a, of a lion who's actually hunting prey. And that's exactly what the devil is doing, hunting prey. And this is an area of temptation that's been used powerfully by the enemy because he can destroy so many lives when people give in. Okay? So that's why, why this is such a big theme in Proverbs. Like a fox that's crafty and cunning, right? Foxes rarely come in in broad daylight and just snatch the chicken out of the chicken coop. They sneak in through the shadows under the cover of darkness. And before you know it, they're in, they're out, and they're gone, and, and the, the chicken's dead. First Peter 5, 8, and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Back to what I said at the beginning. We have to recognize that this is a battle. And recognize that there's an enemy out there who's entrenched, who's waiting, and would love to destroy your life in any way he possibly can. That's the strategy of the devil, is to destroy as many lives with as much pain as he possibly can. It may not look like it. It might look fun. It might even look like nobody will ever know. God says, follow my way, and you will truly live. Recognize that there's an enemy out there. Resist him. It says, resist him, stand firm in your faith. I think it's in James where it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Again, back to how did Jesus resist the devil? Every time it was with the word. He tells us to resist with the word, to resist with prayer. And again, avoid isolation. What we see here in Proverbs 7 is this isolated young man who doesn't have a shot because he's trying to do this by himself. Fourth strategy here in Proverbs 7 is to count the cost. And this really reiterates kind of what we talked about last week from chapter 5 and chapter 6, is that there is a cost, a price that will be paid if you give in to this temptation. So look at this. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And all at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. What this wise person in Proverbs is telling us is that you have to count the cost when you think about this battle. What's this going to cost you in the end? Eternally, what will this cost you? What will it cost you in this lifetime? Destruction. Think about it. Giving in to sexual temptation, let's say if you're married, could destroy your marriage, could destroy your relationship with your kids or harm it could cause you to lose your job depending on the circumstances. You could lose a lot of things. Even if you're not married, God says you can lose a lot by giving into this temptation. 
because there's not just a physical cost, but a spiritual cost. I love some of these illustrations that were used in these verses. Uh, did you catch it? The first one, it actually points out uh, this idea of a deer in verse 22. What does it say? Um, oops, flipped over. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast. Uh, how many of you are hunters in here? How many? A few of you? I know there's uh, multiple ones in our church. So here's a picture of a buck chasing a doe. So here's the thing. If you hunt deer, you know that bucks especially are some of the most elusive, most cautious, most careful, maybe even the most wise of animals. Like the big ones never get shot because they hide all day long and they never come out because they don't want to get shot until mating season arrives, okay? And then they do some really stupid things, like chasing deer across the road in broad daylight. You see a lot of wrecks happen during uh, during mating season. All these other illustrations, the ox that's led to the slaughter, what does that mean? In other words, it's like an animal who goes along not realizing that they're about to die. And God says, if you're falling into this temptation or any temptation, you're being led into something that is death. With the deer, you're making bad choices. With the bird who's trapped in a snare, you're going to be entrapped in something that could end up killing you. And then it talks about this highway to hell, basically. It says her her house is leads down to the chambers of death. Remember how attractive she made it sound to the young man? Hey, come into my house. We're going to have a great time. But God says, if you go into that house... You're basically walking into a tomb. Nobody wants to live in a tomb or even spend time in a tomb. What could it cost you? Physically, relationally, most importantly, spiritually. You see, when you choose to give into a temptation, to do something that God has forbidden, God has put out of bounds, you're rejecting him. And you're putting a wedge between you and him. Sin always drives a wedge. It always destroys. doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian. Sin will always drive a wedge and will destroy. Which brings us to the fifth. This is our bonus strategy, okay? This is the one you don't want to miss. And that is ask for help, okay? Ask for help. And we see this in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. But before I read that, What we want to see is that God says, if you are faced with a temptation or if you're faced with this sin or this struggle, ask for help. Ask God for help, first of all, for salvation. Because what we know is that any sin, not just sexual sin, any sin separates us from him. It drives a wedge between humans and God. This is what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, When they ate the forbidden fruit, there was a separation between them and God. And you know what? You might say... Well, these guidelines I'm seeing in Proverbs, these things I see in Scripture, they're going to make me a better person. I'll just follow those things. Maybe at least I'll get it better than I'm getting it right now. But here's the deal. Unless you actually have a relationship with the living God, none of these things are going to last. And you won't experience true life either on earth or for eternity. The only way you can walk in wisdom, say no to temptation, and enjoy life the way God's designed it is to have a relationship with him. And that's only possible through Jesus Christ, through trusting in Jesus. Jesus is the one who lived a perfect life. He was tempted in every way. That includes sexual temptation. Tempted in every way as we are, and yet he did not sin. And then at the end of his life, he was crucified 
as a sacrifice for our sins. He paid the debt that we never could. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. True transformation, true victory over this is only possible if you have a relationship with God. And that only happens if you trust Jesus. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So that's the first thing is trust Jesus. He alone can heal and forgive your sin problem. He alone can give you eternal life. He's the only solution to this sin thing. Ask for help. Forgiveness and eternal life come through him. But here's another thing. If you're in the moment of temptation, what should you do? Ask for help. Okay? Ask God for help first. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Another verse, when Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6, in the Lord's Prayer, what does he say? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Ask God to deliver you from the evil that is there, the evil that will destroy you. Ask God for help. Ask these questions last week. But what if I've failed? What if I'm failing right now? Or what happens if I fail in the future? Ask for help. Ask for forgiveness. God says, 1 John 1, 9, if you're a believer, God says nothing can separate you from the love of God. But guess what? Sin does drive a wedge. It interrupts that relationship. Not that you can lose your salvation, but it interrupts your communication and it interrupts your relationship with God. We're called to ask for help, ask for forgiveness, ask for cleansing from that sin that's interrupted you. And guess what? God says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know, if you're a believer, like I said, nothing can separate you from God's love. Look at these verses from Psalm 51. King David actually fell into this very temptation, right? Sexual sin and temptation. He actually committed adultery and then killed the husband of the woman who he cheated with. That's pretty bad. And yet look at what he realized later in life. He realized that he had to depend on God for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, David understood this, that if he struggled with this temptation, only God could cleanse him from it. He asked for help. He asked for cleansing. Psalm 32, same thing. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. What I want us to see this morning is this last step is ask for help. Don't keep silent if you're struggling with this sin. Ask for help. Ask God for help, first of all. Ask for forgiveness and cleansing. But then I would just encourage you with this. Ask someone else to help you walk through this. Don't try to do this on your own. As a pastor, I've known a lot of people who've struggled with this and other things. And without fail, I can say, uh, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody gain victory over this without having another believer walk through this with them. 
okay? It's so important to ask someone else to walk through this with you. And that could be uh, someone here at the church. It could be Miguel or myself as the pastors. It could just be someone in the church who's further down the road than you. Maybe somebody that's walked through the same battle. Ask for help. And know that others want to walk with you through this temptation. I want to invite the worship team to come join me up on this stage again. We're going to sing uh, just a little bit of that song that we sang earlier. Uh, Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. And that's where I want to leave us with this. The book of Proverbs spends a lot of time and a lot of ink talking about this temptation of sexual, uh, sexual immorality and the call to live a sexually pure life. And no matter where you are in that battle, know that victory is possible and know that although our sins are many, his mercy is more. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the chance to study it together. And Father, we thank you also that you have provided a way of healing and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that anyone here who hasn't done that before, Lord, that they would trust you today. And God, I just pray in the days ahead that we would walk with you not only as individuals, but as a church family. God, we thank you that our sins, though they are many, your mercy is more. It's in your name we pray, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.